tonight. This is Faith That Shakes, part 44. We are in Acts 27, and this is really part one. And uh, I want to go ahead and jump into it. I'll say a prayer as we get going into it. Father, thank you so much for your word. I pray that you would just bless this time together, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. And we give you praise for that right now in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. So let's, let's start out. And when it was decided, verse 1, that we should sail to Italy, let me review. You, you remember, remember we had the showdown, Herod Agrippa is there, and Bernice, and Felix uh, it, it, it is there, and well, at this time it wasn't Felix, it was uh, Festus, Festus Hagen was there, and and. Paul presents his case, and he appeals to Caesar, and so he's now going to Rome. He's going to Rome. So that's where we're picking up, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, to Rome, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan Regiment. Julius. Julius, let's stop there was a Roman centurion like Cornelius back in Acts 10. We've seen this terminology before. And a centurion was over about approximately 100 soldiers or so, Roman soldiers. I've heard it compared this role, this rank of a centurion, to a first or second lieutenant in the army. This was uh, a soldier who led from the front. He led his men from the front line. He wasn't like a general or a king who would lead from behind the army. He was up front. These centurions were savvy, quick-witted, strong under fire, brave. They were an invaluable part of the Roman army. They were highly respected by both their men and their superiors. And God gets... This centurion to be the steward, the caretaker of this apostle at this time to make sure that Paul gets to Rome. God sent Julius into Paul's life to deliver him safely to the place to which God had called him. And as we'll see... Julius was very kind to Paul, treated him with respect and dignity. And this is important to note. Julius was not a Christian. Julius was a pagan. Everybody say pagan. He did not even believe in the God of the Jews. Yet he was put in charge of taking care of Paul and getting him to where God had called him. I need to park here just for a minute and unpack this. won't take long, but this is amazing to me. God sends people into our lives who may not even be believers, but, but God sends them into your life and to my life to help us get where God wants us to go. 
And just as you have been called and commissioned, they too have been called and commissioned by God himself to see to it that you are right where you need to be, right when you need to be there. We need to thank God for the Juliuses in our life. It's called favor. It's really called favor. What is happening to Paul in this story is divine favor. But favor doesn't always look like favor. Sometimes it comes packaged differently. In Paul's case, it looked like a Roman pagan centurion. Julius had custody of Paul. Paul was under arrest for crying out loud. But this was the mechanism by which Paul would get to the highest power in the land, which was Caesar Nero, okay, Emperor Nero. I'm telling you, favor doesn't always look like favor. Look look at Joseph. Let's just take a moment here. Look at Joseph. Look at his brothers. Joseph's brothers threw Joseph into a pit, and they intended to let him die in that pit. Then those sapsuckers sat down. Read it in your Bible. Genesis 37. They sat down right by the pit and decided to have lunch while their brothers screaming and hollering in the pit, worried about dying. And they set up a picnic right by the pit. They were at such peace Even though they were lying and betraying their brother, they had so much peace about it. It didn't bother them at all that they said, let's have a picnic. Let's just, let's go ahead and have lunch. And so Dan says to Simeon, hey, do you mind passing the mustard? And, And Simeon says, huh, I can't hear you over Joseph screaming. Hey, Joseph, would you keep it down? Would you shut up? We're trying to eat up here. You know, they don't mind at all. They're they're peaceful enough to eat while their brother's dying. And then a band of Midianites or Ishmaelites come by and and they decide, you know, why would we want to kill our brother when we can make a few shekels off of him? These Midianites are selling people. They're human traffickers. Now, what I'm saying is that didn't look like favor, did it? That doesn't look like favor at all to me. That looks like a nightmare. But it was favor. God was using those sorry brothers to make Joseph's God dreams come true. And he was using those slave traders to make Joseph's God dreams come true. Potiphar bought Joseph, purchased him like a cow, bought him, chattel, cattle, you know, bought him, bought Joseph. Potiphar bought Joseph. Potiphar didn't look like favor. Mrs. Potiphar, well, she tried to allure Joseph. That definitely did not look like favor. The prison that limited and restricted him did not look like favor, God's favor. The baker did not look like God's favor. The butler who forgot all about him did not look like God's favor. Pharaoh did not look like God's favor, but it was the favor of God that got Joseph 
from his father's house into Pharaoh's palace, and he saved his entire household. It didn't look like favor, but it was the path that God used. Paul understood that. I told you, he knew all the scriptures. He knew every scripture in the Bible. That was his upbringing, his raising, and his training. He knew these scriptures, and he knew God is going to get me where I need to go. It might not look like it, but I've come to understand. He's headed to Rome. He had already sent a letter ahead to Rome. And you know what it said in that letter? We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And I want to remind you that your troubles and your trials and your tough times, they might not feel like favor, but if you'll keep putting God first and never give up on your God dreams, God can take those stumbling stones and turning, turn them into stepping stones. You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. Give him some praise. How about it? Hallelujah. It's favor. Didn't look like it. But it was favor. It's interesting. There's another parallel here. I need to throw it out. It's interesting to compare Paul at this time in his life to Joseph of old because Genesis 29, 23 says, The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, The Lord made it prosper. Well, Julius has the same sense about the great apostle Paul. The same sense that that old Egyptian had regarding Joseph. Now, now we're in verse 2. Everybody say verse 2. So entering a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coast of Asia, Aristarchus, Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. So here we see that Paul was allowed to take his buds with him. This is because of the favor. Aristarchus was a friend of his. So was Luke. Notice we see the us passage again, was with us. Luke is writing this. So Aristarchus and Luke go with Paul thanks to Julius. Verse 3, let's read 3 through 8. And the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. When he had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, We came to Myra, a city of Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmon. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lassia. Again, Paul is given liberty and allowed to visit with some Christian folks at Sidon. They take care of him. And Julius finds a ship sailing from Alexandria, Egypt to Italy. It's an Alexandrian ship. It's going to Rome. And it happened to be anchored at Myra. And so this was a freighter. 
was a grain ship. In the Roman Empire, they were in northern Africa and Egypt, and it was very fertile land, and this is where a lot of crops were raised. A lot of grain, a lot of wheat was raised there and shipped, actually feeding most, much at least, of the Roman Empire. According to Philip Hughes, this this grain freighter, this ship, was probably about 140 feet long and about 36 feet wide. Actually, I have a picture. I'll throw it up here that's a representation of what this ship may have looked like. It, it did not have a rudder, per se. It had these two paddles. It was like noodling, right, in the bayou in your piro. And, and so they had these paddles that were out, and they would steer and kind of guide, and they had one big mast with one big sail uh, in the middle, and some of them had a little sail on the very front. And, and the bottom line is this. So this is a... This building's 100 feet uh, long this way, so it's 140 feet long and 36 feet wide. So it's narrow and long, big sail in the middle, little sail up front, some rudders or paddles in, in the back. It did not do very well in strong headwinds, hence they sailed slowly with difficulty, the wind not letting them proceed. And they ended up on the south side of the island of Crete at a place called Fair Havens. So let's pick it up there, verses 9 through 12. Are you with me? Isn't this exciting? You know, we're almost done with Acts. This is 27. We got one more chapter. Yeah, and then we're going to go to Genesis, y'all. We're going to Genesis. It's, oh, it's going to be fun. Uh, verses 9 through 12. I can hardly wait. Whoo. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast, what? The fast was already over. Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also, if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. It's only about 40 miles away. This fast that is mentioned here is probably the fast associated with Passover. It ended on the Day of Atonement which would have been October the 5th of that year, which was 59 A.D. And so the reason why it's mentioned is because it's talking about the onset of winter, the changing of the seasons. And, and it was a very dangerous time to sail on the Mediterranean at, uh, at that season. F.F. Bruce says the dangerous season for sailing began about September 14th, and lasted until November 11th. After the latter date, all navigation on the open sea came to an end until winter was over. Now, we don't know for sure why Paul was hesitant, why Paul offered this warning. We don't know if it was supernatural insight into future weather, like he had some kind of future cast, you know, like he really did have a future cast. I believe there's evidence that that he had a... a a supernatural intuition 
uh, a word, if you will, that there was danger. And I'll show you that in just a few minutes. But it could have been just common sense based on years and years and years of travel. Paul has already logged about 3,500 miles in his journeys at this time. This is not like planes, trains, and automobiles. This is foot, beast, ship, you know, 3,500 miles, which included three shipwrecks. He knows something about the sea, and he knows something about when to sail and when maybe is not a good time to sail. Three shipwrecks. We see this in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five. So regardless of how he arrived at his thoughts, his advice in verse 10 was, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss. Not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. But the owner of the ship and the helmsman and the crew, because they took a vote, the majority won, they did not want to winter in fair havens. It was apparently a pretty awful little town. I read one commentator that said it was probably named by the Chamber of Commerce, right? The local Chamber of Commerce said, man, our town stinks. We need to give it a good name, put a fresh spin on it. What can we name it? How about Fair Havens? It's an awful place to winter. It's got brutal storms that wipe stuff out all the time. Let's name it Fair Havens. And so that's kind of where maybe, you know, I don't know where the name came from, but it was deceptive. And so the, the owner of the ship, the helmsman, the crew, they said, we don't want to winter in Fair Havens. And uh, the centurion listened to the sailors. And why shouldn't he? Because they're sailors. And the owner of the ship and the helmsman, they had more to lose than anybody. So Julius, who was kind to Paul, disregards, he disregards uh, Paul's advice and, and leans on the experts and says, let's go. So they set sail for this better harbor, the one that's at Phoenix. Makes me think of like Destin, right? You got the Phoenix 1, the Phoenix 2, the Phoenix 3. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The Phoenix 5, the Phoenix 7, just... They, they've gone nuts over there. And so uh, verses 13 through 16. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out the sea, they sailed close to Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurachlodon. So when the ship was caught, and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. That's what I do with Valerie. I just let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. This is language of the sea. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, and fearing lest they should run aground on the Certus sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because so uh, we were exceedingly tempest tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, 
and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. This was something spectacular that took place. This wasn't just like uh, a random, you know, storm that came and went. Just, you know, it just came. What do they call those storms? A flash, these flash floods and these little storms that pop up. Not this is what I think of. It says they started out with these, this soft wind, cool breeze. It's like they got on their Royal Caribbean. Oh man, whoo! This is going to be smooth sailing. But it ended up being something like this. Here's a video. Here's a video uh, that kind of describes what my version of what happened was. I can't hear it. I don't know why I'm showing you this. It came to mind. This is why I wanted to do it. I didn't want to do the sound effects myself. I want you to hear this. Okay, that's good, right? Praise the Lord. (laughs) They started out so nice, soft, the, the south wind. They're hugging the coast of Crete. And then it turns into what we would know as a named storm, Eurachlodon. Like, let's give it a vicious name, Eurachlodon. It means a violent agitation. It means a strong northeastern wind. We used to live in the mid-Atlantic on the Chesapeake. And you know what they had up there on that northern Atlantic, that mid-Atlantic and that Chesapeake Bay? Nor'easters. And when a nor'easter showed up, Randy, y'all used to live up there too. Man, like it was, we, we left town after a nor'easter. We moved after a nor'easter. Right, right before we moved, we had 36 inches of snow. In, in, it was really two storms, but a day apart. 36 inches of snow. That's crippling. It's a nor'easter. nor'easter. And that's what happened with Eurachlodon. Soft south breezes, and then it turns. Bam! And the weather goes crazy. A name storm. And, and it's, I, I preached about a storm called Opportunity. Wow, this was an opportunity right here. They were, they were trying everything. They pulled the skip. They towed a skip behind the boat, uh, you know, to like anchor offshore and then go, go into shore. So they, they, with great difficulty, they pull that skiff uh, uh, up onto the ship tow it on board, they, they start tying the ship together. It, it was a way of attaching ropes to either side and trying to hold the thing together to keep it from breaking apart. They were afraid of running aground in shallow waters. So they put up a sail and they just let it drive, the wind drive them. And they finally throw all their tackle and all their gear overboard. They didn't throw the grain overboard just their tackle and their gear. And they did not see the sun or the moon or the stars for many days. And so they're hoping and working and hoping and working and hoping and working and hoping and working and hoping and working. But after, I mean, they're in darkness all this time 
they finally, it, it just says finally, any hope that we would be saved was finally given up. All hope was gone. Now verse 21, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me, right? <laughs> and not have sailed from Crete in the first place for crying out loud. I, I added that. And incurred this disaster and loss. Now, honestly, this is a well-deserved, I told you so, I told you so. Probably with the hope, he's hoping now that from here on, they will listen to him. This is why I think Paul had a premonition from the Lord. Because he's saying now, listen, I told you so. I knew this would happen. Now, why would he say that if it was just his educated guess? His 3,500 miles talking. He said, you should have listened to me. I told you so. But now, the idea is, listen, you need to believe me. You need to listen to me now. And, and so, Paul is... is now he's full of advice. Look at this, verses 22 through 26. And now I urge you, now all hope is gone, right? I urge you to take heart. I love this. You know, he starts out saying, we shouldn't sail. This is a bad time. This is dangerous. We could lose everything. They sail anyway. Now he says, you've lost so much. I want you to listen to me. You've lost all hope. I want to tell you, you can hope again. Hear what I got to say. Take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you. How bold is that? But only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. How many times have we seen angels in the book of Acts, right? Here's another one. The, 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 the angel of the Lord, of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, he says, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So we're going to have a little detour, and we're going to lose the ship, by the way. But not one soul will be lost if you'll just listen to me. Now, once again, we have an angel in the book of Acts. We've seen this over and over again. These angels have been used for miraculous deliverances. And, and here we have this angel speaking a message, a word to Paul from God. Paul, listen to the wording of this, calls him an angel of the God to whom I belong. I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. I don't belong to Caesar. I don't belong to Rome. I don't belong to the Jewish nation. I belong to God. He bought me. He purchased me. I belong to him and I serve him. It's not enough that I belong to him. I serve him. We, we sometimes say we'll take that, that mentality. We'll preach it as preachers. We'll get on this, this thing and we'll be like, 
You're not a servant. You're a son. That's part of our problem. We act like we're servants of the Most High God, and we're sons of God. And so we end up not serving Him because we're sons. We're rebellious sons, right? We're sons that don't do what we're supposed to do. We're disobedient sons. Paul is saying, I belong to Him, but I also serve Him. I give him my best. I've given my life. I've given my all. And, and you know, as a result, he sent an angel to remind me, hey, Paul, you're going to finish your mission. I'm going to get you to Caesar. Listen to what I have to say. When you belong to him and you serve him, God will move supernaturally and miraculously in your life and in my life and in our church. We're not in this by ourselves, y'all. This is not us and we're just at the whims of the world. It's to say, oh, man, I wish I could get this across to our young people. I wish I could get this across to our adults. This is not Sunday patty cake go to church. This is not like, well, I go to that church. Well, I'll go to that church. Well, we raise our hands in that church. Well, you know, we, uh, we do incense in our church. And we have all these customs and traditions. And it's just like... It's like, a, it's like a game show sometimes when it comes to church world. This is about serving the risen Christ. This is about the almighty God and his holy angels who are on our side. It's about I belong to him and I live for him and I serve him with everything I have. And I'm not by myself in this situation. It's not just me against the world. It's me and my God doing what God called me to do. Hallelujah. And if God is for me, who can be against me? Hallelujah. Give him praise. Hallelujah. Woo. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Angel of the Lord. He says, an angel stood by me. Angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. You know, when John had that angel appear to him in Revelation, it's it's crazy to me. John is writing this under the inspiration. John has served the Lord. Man, he's almost 100 years old when he's writing this. He's served the Lord since his youth. And an angel of the Lord appears to him. Not his first encounter. And old John bows before the angel. Oh, like a dead man. And the angel says, get up, John. I serve the same God you serve. I'm a fellow servant. Now, had it been me, I wouldn't have written that. I said, I'm just not going to put that down. I felt like an idiot, you know. I worship the angel, you know. Sorry, guys. You know, like, I love the Bible where I just put some mistakes and everything. John's like, I fell at his feet. He's probably blushing. He's like, I fell at his feet as a dead man. He said, get up, John. I wouldn't have said that. But it's amazing. It's angelic creatures, like pretty astounding to him. And, And the angel appears and says, get up, I'm a fellow servant. Could an angel look at you and say, you and I, we're on the same page? Could an angel look at you and say, you serve the same God? I, I can tell. I didn't have to have divine revelation to know. I can look at your life. I've been watching you. You know, that's the ancient name for angels. Watchers. 
And New Age ran off and went crazy with that, went goofball, angels and all. But watchers watching. I've been watching you, and I can tell you serve the same God I serve. I can tell by your life. I can tell by your faithfulness. I can tell by your obedience to the word. I can tell by your giving. I can tell by your witnessing. I can tell by your prayer life. Hey, those angels watch. They were watching another a centurion, Cornelius, right? Seeing how his prayers, he's not even sure who he's praying to, but he prays every day. He, he, he gives. He's humble. Been watching him. And, and, and we recognize that as faith stuff. And so, Paul, or, or Peter, I want you to go over here and you're going to preach the gospel to him. We're going to bring him into this fold. And those angels watching, right? So, this angel, this angel says, He says, I got a, I got a message for you. I love it. The angel, I love this too. The angel stood by Paul on a dark, stormy, hopeless night. He stood by him in in the worst of circumstances (laughs) and brought him a word of encouragement. Think about that, man. That's not like like he was forsaken. Now, I got to be honest with you. This is like two weeks into it. I'm like, you know, why didn't you come like 10 days ago? That's another question I have, you know, like, sure would have been nice to see you, you know, like 10 days ago. <laughs> but that's, isn't that the way it works though? You got you to gotta walk when you can't see by faith. You don't walk by sight anyway. You just got to walk on. Man, this is tough, right? But I'm going to be faithful. I'm not going to quit. Paul didn't say it's not worth it. I'm just not going to make it. God let me down. He just kept believing. You just got to keep believing and keep trusting and keep believing and keep trusting and keep believing and keep trusting. Be faithful. Don't give up. Don't give in. Keep pushing. Keep pushing in the storm, in the storm, in the darkness when it seems all hope is gone because the Lord has not forsaken you. And because he had pushed that far, the angel showed up and said, let me show you something, son. You will get to Caesar. I'm going to see to it, and I'm going to give you all these men to go with you. I love it. I love it. Just a faithfulness of Paul. He says, first of all, he calls him Paul. I think that's amazing. Do not be afraid, Paul. You know, his name was Saul. And we looked at that. That all changed in a particular encounter that he had on an island with Bar-Jesus, Simon the sorcerer. And he went from being known as Saul to Paul. But here, heaven acknowledges him as Paul. Hey, Paul, we know it up. We've been watching you. Heaven calls him Paul. I love that. Second of all, heaven says, do not be afraid. In spite of how you feel, son, in spite of all you see, Sometimes you just have to persevere without the supernatural until he comes through. It's like the old ask, seek, knock. Remember I talked about that. It's, It's ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. You just, we try to get all perfect, you know, like I'm just gonna ask one time and I'm gonna stand. And then life 
balls up a big fist and, and comes to you and goes, boop, and you fall, right? But you, you're like, I'm, I'm just going to ask one time. I used to tell my kids, I'm covenant man. I'm word man. You poke me, word comes out. Man, I was getting into the Bible so much, I got weird, right? <laughs> I'm covenant man. I'm word man. You poke me, word comes out. I'm word man. I'm covenant man. You know, and life, you know, life's like, yeah, co you're covenant man. Boom, <laughs> right? I was word man. I was covenant man. You know, I don't know who I am anymore. <laughs> you know, what you do is you get back on your stand. You, you crawl back up on that word. Yeah, well, I failed, but. You know, a righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets up again. You know, like I get back up one more time, and I'm going in the name of Jesus. I'm going, and you just you just ask, you seek, you knock, you keep on, and you keep on, and God will come through. God will come through. God will come through. God assured assured him, you will go to Rome. And basically, he said, and I'm going to give you these guys with you. I'm going to, I'm going to protect them. And you know what that's kind of like? It reminds me of Old Testament. I'll bless those that bless you. If they'll listen to you, I'll bless them. And we're going to see that next week. We'll see that where where the guy, uh, some of the guys like uh, are going to spin off and like leave the ship. And Paul's like, if y'all leave, you're going to die. You got to stay with me. I'll bless those that bless you. Now, you got to understand, Paul's kind of walked this journey with them. They've heard his words come to pass. And so he's like, you leave, you're going to die. They're like, I think I'm going to stay. You know, they get back on the boat because Paul seems to like know what he's talking about more than the sailors. And he encourages these sailors. I, I'm reminded, I'm closing, I'm reminded of uh, a few years ago, you know, we had this, this retired pastor, beloved man, Brother Wiley, with us on Veterans Day. Anybody remember that? Oh, man, it was just amazing. He talked about World War II. He was a World War II veteran. And Brother Wiley lied about his age back in the day. Man, times are different, right? He, th those young men, were, were they saw a need. They saw a cause. And they were running to it. It was different. The nation, everything was different. And, and, and Brother Wiley, Brother Wiley was... 16, I think. They kicked him out. He comes back in. He ends up going in the Navy. He's 16, 16 years old, I believe. Just turned 17. And he, he, had, he said, the next thing I knew, I was in the South Pacific. I was on a ship. Next thing I knew, I was in a fleet of ships. And the Japanese attacked our fleet. And we survived. And he said, the fleet left, went out to the open sea. They left us, our ship, there to do some cleanup, some uh, fixing up on the beach and get some parts and whatnot. And he said, he said, the fleet was gone. We were sitting ducks. And I think it was 21, uh, some huge number of Japanese zeros came, kamikazes, to wipe out his one little ship. And he said, radar caught it. We got radio of him coming in. And he said, my captain, I, I've never seen him like this. He was terrified. And he said, he gathered us all together. 
And he said, gentlemen, here's what's happening. And he said, uh, does anybody know how to pray? And Brother Wiley, who's a 17-year-old kid, church background, but he had kind of been running from God. He said, I, I, knew, I, I knew I could. I said, Captain, I think I can. He said, would you pray for us? He said, I, we all held hands. He said, tears coming out of people's eyes. Lord Jesus, if you'll just get us through this, if you'll help us, if you'll give us wisdom and strength, just protect us, God. And so he makes this dramatic prayer. Long story short, those kamikazes start dive bombing onto their, their deck coming in. He told me, he said, he said I, was, I was on a gun, I'm shooting. And he said, uh, a, uh, a, a, pilot, a kamikaze hits their deck and like slides on it. He said, literally, I looked in the cockpit, the pilot looked at me, I looked at him, and he slid off the side of the ship. And when it was all said and done, they survived. They, I don't know, I don't know if they had any casualties at all on the ship. But I don't think they did. And all the kamikazes were wiped out, and and they survived. But brother, brother, brother Wiley just telling this story and his stories moved with emotion. Like Paul's not just like mechanical; he cares about these guys. There's serious fear in this situation. Reason for it. And, and 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 an angel says, I got your back, Paul. And if everybody will listen to you, I'll protect everyone on this ship. And so it's kind of like they say, can anybody pray? And Paul's like, I can. An angel told me this. If you'll listen to what I say, and God will bring them. Th- the ship's going to fall apart. It's going to go to pieces, literally. But all 200 and whatever, 76 or whatever it is of those guys, every single one of them come through. Every single one of them. And as a matter of fact, he said, I'm going to get to Rome, but we have to make a stop at an island. We'll pick it up there because when they get to that island, God does a miracle that blows up revival on that island. As Paul's on his way to Rome, he accidentally has a revival in Malta, which is the home of my beloved dog, Valerie's beloved dog, Opie and Beatrice. Lizzie and Brenda's dog, and some of y'all's dogs too. Stand with me right now.